Welcome to the Water in Real Life podcast. We are the H2 Duo. This is Greg Wukash from the San Antonio Water System. Hey, need a brain explosion today? Hang on as you're about to be blown away listening to Water in Real Life with the H2 Duo. You're listening to Episode 7 with Megan Schneider. We're dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. I think that's really what helped me start understanding the big picture of what it's like to be someone in the water wastewater profession and the value of that collaboration and the need to communicate effectively because if if you develop things in a silo it's not useful to anybody today on episode seven we chat with megan u schneider founder and president of seven management and consulting inc we'll chat about how her childhood love the mascot for her local water utility was it really jump-started her position on the incredible importance of water utilities educating the youth to impact not only the adults, their parents of today, but also to grow the next generation of water advocates. She's also gonna talk to us about what it's meant to her being a woman in the water industry, and also we're gonna get a sneak peek at brain-based learning, the topic that she's gonna be discussing at Catalyst. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Megan is a bridge builder. Over the last 12 years, she has had the opportunity to work for a myriad of private sector consulting firms and for several public agencies. She has also served on several board of directors and she currently serves as the elected director of Division 7 for the Municipal Water District of Orange County, in addition to her role as policy director to the 5th District Supervisor Lisa Bartlett in Orange County. Megan has served on dozens of committees, including those for the Water Environment Federation and the California Water Environment Association. Currently, she is the vice chair and incoming chair of the WEF Public Communications and Outreach Committee and the chair of the CWEA Kurt Brooks Memorial Scholarship Committee. She's organized over 100 conferences, seminars, plant tours, presentations, community events, and more, and she is part of the inaugural graduating class of the Water Leadership Institute. Okay, so you've been a busy lady. (laughs) We are so excited to be um, speaking with you this morning. Uh, That was a lot. I mean, like I said, you've been busy. Is there anything in there, any holes that you want to fill with that bio? Because you're like the coolest engineer that we've ever met. Um, Oh, thank you. Probably in a close tie with uh, Christiane Castleberry, of Castleberry Engineering and Consulting in Austin, who she is the chair for the education division of TAWWA. And so, like, I, I used to tell, or we tell Christy all the time yeah. that, like, you're the coolest engineer that we've ever met. And but now we found a second. Yay! Yeah, like, yeah, we ha- we're starting a cool engineer club, <laughs> yeah. I think. Like, I'm digging it. And to be clear, we mean cool because you have such a passion for communication and education in the water industry the way that we do. But is there anything, uh, so going ahead and fill in anything from that bio that uh, we may have missed out. Like, how did you get where you are now? So uh, growing up, I was always really obsessed with water. 
Um, I was known as neighborhood mermaid and my best friend was known as the fish because we always lived in the pool and at the beach and we were always in water. And then when I was in elementary school, uh, we have this public education mascot here in Orange County, California. His name is Ricky the Rambunctious Raindrop and he was actually (laughs) developed in the 70s. And many years later, I actually got to meet the woman who created Ricky the Rambunctious Raindrop and since then she's become one of my mentors. But with all that being said, I've always developed this passion for water. And with Ricky the Rambunctious Raindrop, I became absolutely fascinated by the science side of water. And so as I got older, I started doing science fair projects related to water quality. I became fascinated with unintended consequences. And as a result of all that, I won the California Stockholm Junior Water Prize in high school. Wow. Wow. When I did research on trihelmethane formation and removal, which is a disinfection byproduct. And so with that, I was invited to the California Water Environment Association as a keynote speaker for the opening session. And um, on my flight back home from my second year of presenting, I noticed that one of the gentlemen that I had met at the conference seemed a little agitated. And so I asked him um, if everything was okay. And he said, in fact, no, Uh, my wife and I always fly together and we always sit together. And I wasn't able to check in on Southwest early enough. And so he was in a seaboarding class. And I said, well, lucky for you, I'm obsessive about checking in right on the 24-hour mark. (laughs) And so I offered to save seats for his wife and him. And so I did. And naturally, I just saved one row. And uh, we ended up sitting together on the plane. And he asked me, so what are you doing this summer? And I said, nothing. And he's like, do you want to come work for us? And so he happened to be the assistant chief engineer and assistant general manager for the Los Angeles County Sanitation Districts. Wow. And gosh, that's awesome. It was the best first job I could have ever had. And so I got to work in operations and maintenance. And my, my supervisor at the time, his name was Brian Acorda, And he encouraged me to spend as much time with the operators out in the field as possible. And Mm -hmm. so the office space that we shared actually included all of the superintendents for the operations and maintenance group. And so we're talking guys who had 20, 30 plus years of experience in the water and wastewater sector. And so as this young high school graduate, I started hanging out with them and asking them all sorts of questions. And my boss told me, he's like, Learn as much as you can, because when you become an engineer designing stuff, mm-hmm. you're designing stuff for these people. These are the people who understand the ins and outs. And so many engineers don't spend time understanding the impact of what they do. Mm-hmm. And so it was the most valuable lesson I could have learned as someone who's about to go to school to become an engineer. Yeah. And I will never forget that experience. And I think that's really what helped me start understand the big picture of what it's like to be someone in the water wastewater profession and the value of that collaboration and the need to communicate effectively. Because if, if you develop things in a silo, it's not useful to anybody. Yeah. And so with all that being said, that was my first job. Um, It was an incredible agency to work for because you have so many different wastewater treatment plants that they manage for unincorporated Los Angeles. And so I got to work on plants that were super, super tiny 
less than one MGD all the way up to plants that were over 300 million gallons per day. So it was incredible. Um, And that kind of kickstarted my career and my involvement in professional associations. And um, I actually ended up writing my college essay about Ricky the Rambunctious Raindrop. (laughs) I talked about how he was my first love and why public education is so valuable. And um, when I was at the California Water Environment Association conference, I noticed that they had a committee meeting for public education. So me being that super enthusiastic young kid, I was like, I'm going to go. And I... I've never been too shy. So I spoke up and I talked about how valuable public education is for inspiring young, younger students to not only pursue careers in the water environment profession, but also just to become better stewards of water and better um, Mm -hmm. users of water in terms of making their daily decisions. And everybody laughed at me. And that was not the reaction I was expecting. Um, They said, what do kids know? We really need to look education for adults. Funny enough, 10 years later, when the same organization was doing its strategic plan, reaching out to young children and high school students became part of that plan. Because um, if you look at so many different other initiatives, whether it's recycling or conserving energy or not littering, all of those campaigns were really effective because they reached out to school-age children who then kind of became the advocates for doing the right thing and called out their parents in Mm -hmm. terms of doing the right thing. So we've come a long way since I first got started uh, in high school. You know, I have a similar story. I also started in operations and maintenance and uh, in terms of in the water industry. And I know that that's when it really sunk in for Ariane too, is getting to be at ground level with those people out there in the field that are actually with their hands and, you know, their whole bodies, uh, you know, in the trenches, (laughs) if you will, literally, actually. I mean, for me, it wasn't from, you know, the engineering perspective. From me, it was like the best job I could have had, the best first job I could have had in the water industry because I got to see water in real life, like Mm -hmm. really, like not only from my job perspective, but from as a citizen, Mm -hmm. as a resident now, like I, it changed the way that I looked at, at water, you know, up until that point, it was everything that I was learning in grad school. And, um, you know, for me, like water happened when my first semester of of grad school, when I took water and wastewater treatment with uh, (coughs) Becky, uh, Becky Johnson at TCU. I mean, she is the reason that I am in water. And that was the first time I heard water story, but it all got driven home when I got to spend time with the guys in operation and maintenance mm-hmm. at the city of Bedford. Um, and I know that that's, Arian, if you want to like tell your kind of story, how you fell in love because of that same perspective. Yeah, I, um, I was in the environmental side of it first as a public education specialist, I got asked to just give a tour of um, the water treatment plant that we had in Mansfield. And um, they said, I know you don't, you're not in water, you don't, you may not know the, the terms and stuff, but um, just come like guide the tours. And we were like, I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. And it was exactly that day that I was like, wow, this is very powerful. Like, <laughs> The children were just enthralled in what was going on. We had 150 kids. It was the first time they ever gave a tour. And you would have never known it because everyone, it took every, it took all of the 
staff that are typically digging holes or running tests and, you know, working out in the field, they just changed gears that day and, like, put on their tour guide hat and education hat, and we all kind of just band together, and and then I got to know them that day, and I said, this is where I need to be, and once I got to know, you know, we have one guy who, his name's Jesse Fernandez, and he had worked in the industry in the holes for basically 30 years at that point, and I mean, the knowledge that he had, and just the respect, and the I mean, the love for water and the and the family environment that was created in that that department. Oh, I was I was hooked. Yeah, <laughs> I was hooked immediately. Yeah. So we met Megan through um, Rogue Water is a partner of Blue Drop, which is the nonprofit arm of DC Water, and we were approached by Blue Drop to be a partner, and Megan and her company that she founded were also asked to be a partner of Blue Drop, and so um, we had heard the name, and we had heard nothing but good things from everyone about in Blue Drop oh, thank you. about Megan, and you really need to meet her, and we were at the Utilities Management Conference this past February in San Antonio, and uh, it was like the very beginning of the morning, and we're rushing to get to the first session, and was um, it Mark Jockers? yeah, Mark Jockers. Uh, we yeah. just happened to pass, uh, my mind has just escaped. Mark, all I can think of is Mark Jockers of Pure Brew. Uh, but, um, uh, I don't know if that's his official title. <laughs> <laughs> he's, um, he's with, he's with Clean Water Services. Clean Water that's Services. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's my brew man. Yeah. I always <laughs> just think of him and, um, him and Travis and Pure Brew. Um, but, but anyway, so we're walking and he's like, Hey Stephanie, Hey Ariane. This is Megan. And so we're... We were telling him, I think, the night before, like, we're trying to find this Megan Schneider chick. And anybody <laughs> anybody know who she is? And of course, well, and I was just getting over literally the worst sinus infection ever. Oh. So I, I know I was a little subdued when we met. And then when we talked on the phone, we're, it was a whole other relationship. That's right. <laughs> so it was really, um, it was really fun. Just that five minutes that we got to, it took us a minute to figure out that this was the Megan. So we were just like, Oh, hi Megan. <laughs> and then as soon as you said you're from orange County, we were like, Oh, <laughs> so, um, but you are just the queen of involvement. And, um, you know, we consider ourselves to be pretty involved members of the water industry but like I mean you've even inspired us to get more involved and because of you we're now members of the WEF public communication and outreach committee because we wanted to be a part of any party that Megan is at um (laughs) and we're you know obviously so excited that you know right out of the gate you trusted us enough to agree to speak at Catalyst um so it's just it's amazing how quickly those connections and collaboration it spreads like wild wildfire um but real quickly though I wanted to talk about um get real a little min- uh, for a minute and talk about like being a woman in this industry I remember when I first got into the water industry and when I first said I wasn't in water in general I was in in public works and I remember going to some of my first public works conferences or meetings and being like one of three women in the room and um 
not feeling like intimidated by that at all, but just being like, this is pretty awesome. Like, <laughs> right. like I feel like kind of like the unicorn in the room. But um, uh, I loved how in one of our conversations you were talking about how uh, early on people were like, you should totally be a consultant. And you were like, well, I can't be a consultant because that's what you do when you retire. <laughs> um, so <laughs> kind of speak towards like how you decided to make that leap uh, early like we did early. I'm using air quotes. And um, also like what it's meant to you to be a w- woman in this industry. Okay. So let me try to tackle the woman part first. Um, I guess it was, it was a little different for me because I grew up as a tomboy. Um, my best friend and I, her name was Lisa. We were the only girls that played tackle football and basketball (laughs) and, you know, soccer and kickball. And so I never thought twice about it, but apparently I worried my mom because I would come home with like dirt stains there's all over my white shirt and she was like can't you just be a girl and oh my god keep yes. your dresses clean for once <laughs> I, was your mom my mom because I swear she said the same thing every day <laughs> can you just be a girl but but in, in, to credit my mom she also didn't hold me back and mm-hmm. so if I didn't want to play with the Barbies and I wanted the Legos and the Connect and the Taco Park instead she got it for me and yeah. so I think that really attributed to the way um, I really embraced mechanical things and math and science and just how everything worked. And um, I found out many, many years later that my mom was actually the first uh, resident in her medical program at her um, hospital that she did her residency at. And so that's awesome. I guess she in her own way was a pioneer woman. Yeah. Um, But with all that being said, you know, as I got to college and I knew I wanted to do chemical engineering because I loved chemistry. I loved water. I had interviewed over two dozen people at Los Angeles County Sanitation Districts asking them, should I be a civil engineer? Should I be a chemical engineer? Should I be an environmental engineer? And, um, you know, just knowing what I loved, I knew chemical engineering was it for me. And I remember in my first class and there were, you know, a nice mix of women and men. Mm -hmm. But, um, as we got towards graduation, I had a moment where I sat in class and looked around and realized all the girls were gone and we were down to the last four. And, and, um, as, as we've had more and more movements to be, you know, towards gender equality and addressing the glass ceiling and the glass cliff and all of those things, and especially more recently with the hashtag me too moment, moment, yeah. uh, movement, apologies. Uh, I started realizing, you no, know, wow. Sometimes I am the only woman in the room or I am the only minority in the room. Yeah. And I just never counted it before. You know, you just kind of look at everyone as human beings, but I've had people comment like, oh, you're the token woman or you're the token minority. And <laughs> I think we just have to kind of look at people as, people and who they are and what they have to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, I I think sometimes we get so fixated on, you know, what's, what's our, what's our quota or are we checking off all the boxes for diversity? And I think it's important to be intentional, but I think it's also important to just look at people for who they are. Yeah. Um, So with that being said, going into the whole consulting thing, 
that definitely did play a role in how I look at it at first, you know, you look at all of your peers and your mentors and everyone who goes off on their own and using air quotes here too. (laughs) They're usually people who are in their second or third careers, you know, people who worked for a public agency and retired and then worked as a consultant for a while and then decided, you know what, I want to scale back my work and be, uh, have my own business or they're people who are really specialized in something and spent Mm -hmm. 30 years being that technical and now want to be a technical advisor on a number of um, projects. And Mm so I always figured, you know, that's something you do when you're older and retired, um, but you're not ready to retire, retire yet. And then uh, I was in grad school and I was taking this class. It was called Entrepreneurial Engineering. And I took the class because the title sounded interesting Mm -hmm. uh, because I was like, I like engineering. Entrepreneurial engineering sounds a little fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I took the class and they, what they did was every week they would bring, it met two, two times a week. Every week they would bring different entrepreneurs who were engineers and have them share their stories as to how they got to where they were. And, you know, they were all, extremely inspiring success stories. And quite a few of them kept talking about how, um, how they realized that they were meant for something more because they'd be at an organization and they'd always look at how, but didn't know how to implement it because the organization just wasn't ready for someone who was that outside the box. And I was like, that's me, you know, because most of my career, I've been told, well, you should probably not talk so much as an engineer because people won't think you're as smart if you talk too much. Or <laughs> you should really tone down your personality because engineers are supposed to be serious. And, wow. And uh, and I was and and another reason I kind of realized I wasn't I wasn't in the box for your typical stereotypical definition of an engineer was when I was in college and we had the engineering uh, leadership council and they had a workshop for engineering student leaders from all over the state. And the facilitator, she was a liberal arts major. She had us take this personality test and then we had to stand in different corners of the room based on our results, but she didn't tell us it was a personality test. She just said it was a quiz. And so I'm standing in this corner all by myself. And I notice that there's all these other people, you know, 20 people in another corner, oh, I 18 people in another corner, <laughs> you know, 25 people in another corner. And I'm literally in this fourth corner I had a by myself. Attack. And so <laughs> I asked the facilitator, did I do something wrong? Because there's no one else here. Yeah. And she's like, it's okay. You know, she's like, I'm actually, I've, she's like, I would actually be in that corner too. Nice. And so she starts associated with her personality and whatnot. And, wow. and that's when I realized that I was the connector and I was the bit bridge builder between mm-hmm. all of the different groups, because, you know, um, as an engineer, I really enjoyed communicating and helping others understand different perspectives mm-hmm. and really being able to connect how, there were so many similarities between different stakeholder groups, but helping people recognize that and being able to overcome some of the hurdles that they might have in terms of their perception and allowing them to see how what they do could really work well if they collaborated with other groups that they typically might not collaborate with. And so 
I kind of tuck that into the back of my mind, but, you know, being a young engineer, people tell you things like you should definitely demonstrate your technical capabilities. You should definitely build up this foundation and, you know, check off all these boxes. But I would always get drawn into a lot of the different communicator and connector roles, including business development, because people would say, well, you're really good at writing and you're really good at creating infographics and whatnot. And so I started realizing you know what? I love all this stuff because as a kid, I also loved art and mm-hmm. being creative. And I realized I can kind of do it all by being that connector and being that bridge builder. And so, um, yeah, before I took one of my last jobs, a couple of my mentors said to me, why did you take that job? You you should have really gone out on your own. I said, that's when I made the comment. Well, isn't that what people do when they're older and getting close to retirement? And they're like, no, you have a very unique skill set. You know a lot of people. You've done a lot in this industry. Mm-hmm. We think you have a real value that you can add to the industry as, you know, someone who has their own consulting business. And so I said, okay, interesting. Um, and they said, you know, even if you're not ready to start a company now, you should really just start thinking about what you want your company to be and, mm-hmm. you know, what you want your name to be and what you, what kind of services you want to provide. And so that was really valuable information. And so I started just brainstorming, if I had a company, what would I want it to do and what would I want it to be and what, what would I want to provide as a resource to the rest of the industry that might not be served today. And so I spent several years kind of just brainstorming and keeping it in the back of my mind and the opportunity came for me to just launch it and I was ready and it was it has been the most amazing decision in my life to date Mm -hmm. yeah I um so many things about what you just said number one like I I really want to know about that personality quiz because as much as something like that would give you know someone like Ariane anxiety to be the only one in a corner (laughs) Um, that's also like pretty powerful because a lot of times people may tell you things like you have this skill or you have that skill, but to be able to look around a room and really be able to see like, okay, yes, there is something that is different about you and your personality. (laughs) And I mean, that would have, I I would think that would be a powerful way to get across, um, like, yeah, you've got something else. You've got that. And talking about the old box, I, the first time that I met um, our mentor, Greg Wukash, at San Antonio Water System, we were in a strategic planning session for TAWWA, and it was the most amazing strategic plan session I've ever been a part of because he was facilitating it, and I was eating up every single word that he was saying, mm-hmm. and afterwards, you know, of course, I went up to him, and I was talking to him, and just talking about how excited I was about what we had just been through and, you know, (laughs) never one to, never one to, um, hold back or mince words. You know, he straight up having just met me was like, you know, you're different. (laughs) Like you're a little weird, you know? And, and it's not about, I don't even like to call it like out of the box, but you know, people like you are a new box altogether. Mm-hmm. And he kind of he kind of coined this term for us, the new box thinking, where it's not even outside of a box, it's just this completely whole different thing that that this whole different box that you're a part of altogether. Um so I remembered that 
very vividly, and that reminded me of that when you talked about that. Um, and I also liked how you weren't afraid to kind of dive in and do a little bit of it all because, you know, not saying, oh, well, I can't do these creative things because I'm an engineer. Right. Like not right. listening to, you know, the people who, you know, probably mean well, but. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, still deciding to do things that strengthen you. Because, um, mm-hmm. again, to speak to Greg, that was one thing that he really pulled from us was a lot of times people talk about their strengths and their weaknesses and you know your strength may be design but well maybe that's a bad example because if like if designing things weakens you inside then it's probably then you may not be in the right line of work but you know like for instance like let's say I'm really good at at excel spreadsheets like yes I can do them and I'm good at them but I hate them they like drain my soul when I'm (laughs) doing them like To look Uh at things in terms of what strengthens you and what gets you excited and passionate and then what weakens you in terms of whether you're good at it or not, Mm -hmm. but it just is a drag Mm -hmm. and a drag on your day. Um, So I really like that you have the courage to um, adapt and be... Find your find what strengthens you and, and take it on and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that what, what really drove me was, you know, as I was a design engineer and we would design these projects and then they would go to the board and all of a sudden the project scope changed or the project was shelved. And I would sit there going, well, we spent all this energy and time and effort and all these resources to develop these really well thought out comprehensive Mm -hmm. designs that really do address what the issues are. And then it's someone else's decision to green light it or shelve it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized it doesn't matter how amazing you are at designing something or how incredible the product or project that you have is. If someone can't communicate its value to somebody else, the Mm -hmm. decision maker, the Mm. the other stakeholders. And we've had time and time again, so many of these projects that end up not happening or getting delayed by decades. Um, In California, particularly, (laughs) we have that project, um, which was looking at potable reuse. And someone decided to coin the term toilet to tap. And that ended up resonating throughout the entire country and now that's something that people have heard forever but it started in the 90s and it was because back then it wasn't communicated to the community and the decision makers and the other stakeholders what their true intentions were obviously we weren't taking water directly from the toilet to the tap (laughs) but but that term literally killed that project now nearly 20 plus years later that same community is now looking at potable reuse, but it took them 20 years to recover. Mm. And look at the impact that's had on our water reliability. Look at the impact that's had on our ability to promote innovation and, you know, um, cost-effective solutions to our community and providing the best class of service. And so that's when I realized it's one thing a really good engineer, but it's another thing to be a really good engineer who can communicate the value of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when it kind of came full circle for me in terms of how important public education is, how important communication is, and how important collaboration is to ensure that we develop really strong projects that are of value to us. And it happened again here in California with the water fix. Um, 
10 years ago, I worked on the conceptual design for the water fix and we spent hours and days, months looking at all the different alternatives and what would be of best value to our state. And then recently, just a couple months ago, they almost changed the design right, you know, on the dais and tried to go from two tunnels to one tunnel, um, which completely eliminates, you know, the opportunity for redundancy and the ability to mm. keep part of your system operational while mm -hmm. performing maintenance and repairs on the other part, which yeah. would help extend the life, useful life of the system. But political pressures almost shifted how that would have happened. And again, that's an example of failure to communicate effectively why that design happened the way it did. Right. That exactly. makes sense. Well, that idea of being able to take something on the IQ side, you know, engineering, finance, whatever, and being able to effectively communicate that to your stakeholders, which is more of that EQ side, that's exactly the equation that uh, George Hawkins really nailed at Imagine H2O's Innovation Forum this past March. And so uh, it's great to hear those same ideas echoed, you know, echoed on the West side and the West Coast. Um, we got you on the West Coast, George on the East Coast, and, you know, uh, the H2 duo representing in the central uh, of the country in Texas. So we're going to, like, all meet in the middle and just kind of revolutionize I love it. the way that... Um, Except that might be, like, Oklahoma or Kansas, and that might not be very fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go straight up to the middle and all meet in St. Louis or whatever. Um, but, yeah, so it's kind of that, that collaboration between those two sides and people from both uh, those two sides that's really going to drive home the innovation and creativity of our of our industry. And so, you know, just briefly, I just like to talk about sort of that power of collaboration and how collaboration and, and having a diverse mix of people around the table or in the room. I actually was listening to this podcast of on, I believe is Entrepreneur on Fire, uh, that podcast, and was listening to an author named Shane Snow, who wrote a book called Dream Teams. And he was actually talking about the incredible importance of making sure that you have a diverse group of people on your team to brainstorm, not just in terms of um, like ethnicity and gender and all of that, but just in your way of thinking. And that sometimes by right. having people who challenge you or throw wrenches into your plans and make you really explain it and fight for it, that mm -hmm. helps you eventually get to an even better idea or change agent or something at the end of the conversation. So um, talk about really briefly your your experience at Unleash. First of all, tell us what that is, because we thought that was super cool, but just your experience there and the power of collaboration. Yeah. So collaboration has always been a passion of mine. And in fact, when I took that personality test with the four corners of the room, I was so compelled by it that I ended up incorporating that into a lot of the workshops that I led in the future, talking about the importance of team building, and creation and demonstrating how we, instead of focusing on everybody's weaknesses, we really need to start focusing on everybody's strengths mm -hmm. because 
everybody has different strengths. Everybody has different personalities. Everyone has different experiences, different life lessons. And so by focusing on everyone's strengths, you can create an incredibly powerful team by looking at what everyone can bring to the table. And, and so that's always been a real passion and a real theme in my life. And so this last year, I had the opportunity to go to Denmark and participate in the first of its kind innovation lab, um, simply due to scale and just the sheer magnitude of what they tried to achieve. And so I think most of us are familiar with the UN Sustainable Development Goals and how um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals are meant to be accomplished by 2030. And the country of Denmark committed to kind of becoming a leader in that effort because they recognize that 2030 isn't that far away. <laughs> and in order for us to really be able to reach those goals, we have to do something different because obviously we have the millennial goals and the deadline for that kind of came and went. And the whole idea of having goals is to meet the goals. And so Denmark said, let's do something different. Let's invite a thousand people from all of the all over the world. Let's invite subject matter experts. Let's invite academia. Let's invite entrepreneurs. Let's invite intrapreneurs mm -hmm. and put them all in the same room in the same space and see what happens. And so they ended up focusing on six or seven sustainable development goals the first year, which was 2017. And I applied for the sustainable development goal six, which is clean water and sanitation. And we ended up having 129 plus countries represented. Wow. And in the in this water and sanitation group, we had 126 people from literally all over the world looking at how we can develop solutions that address clean water and sanitation. And not just from a developed country's perspective or a developing country perspective, but from a perspective where those solutions could be implemented globally and mm -hmm. could be scalable um, because the millennia, the millennium sustainable development, the millennium goals focused on developing countries and they mm -hmm. recognize that in order for something to really be effective, it needs to be implemented and be able to be implemented globally. And so we had people from the U.S., we had people from Ghana, from Kenya, from Australia, England, you name it. Um, we had people from all over all walks of life, whether they were engineers, communicators, writers, um, CPAs, lawyers, mm -hmm. and we all brought what we had to the table. And it was incredible to kind of just see that collaboration happen. And I remember having this moment of, wow, you know, we do so many projects and we develop so many ideas in a vacuum. And the research that we do is what we can find online or in a library. And here we have an opportunity to literally turn to the person next to us and say, what's your experience? What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. And you get it right from the source. And yeah. so wow. it was a life-changing 11 days where you literally got to have conversations with people who told you from their own mouths what their experiences were rather than you having to read it or research it or, you know, um, talk on the phone with someone. You could mm -hmm. talk face-to-face -face and collaborate. And it was absolutely incredible, but again, reinforce the value of collaboration and the, the need for effective communication to really be an effective collaborator. Exactly. And I mean, this, that's such in our eyes, an amazing uh, validation of how 
you know, we so strongly believe that water creates community. And, you know, that's a big goal of this podcast is to be able to take the one-on-ones, like the brief five-minute meeting uh, in a lobby at a hotel at a conference that we had and be able to talk to you and have a conversation and hopefully introduce you and your thoughts and your ideas to the rest of the industry and just expand that community even further. Um, And that's another reason that we were so passionate about getting this collective group of people that we consider to be badasses to speak at our very first Catalyst. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, you're speaking in the content portion of Catalyst, which we're so excited about because you're talking about kind of the next generation of presenting. So I don't want to give too much away, just a little teaser, but can you just define briefly for us what your conversation is going to be about? Yeah, and I think that at the core of almost everything that I do is I've always been really passionate about people and helping people. And I think for us to be able to share our knowledge and our experiences, we need to, we need to focus on our audience, which are all people. And so one of the things I'm going to be talking about is how we can most effectively communicate with other adults and share information where they can not just hear the information, but internalize it and take it back to a place where they can then apply it in their own lives and in their own communities. And so brain-based learning really focuses on looking at the adult education component and really connecting with your audience and really ensuring that it's interactive, that it's engaging so that people aren't just hearing things, they're also talking, they're also sharing their own insights. A lot of times when you go to a conference and you hear the subject matter expert talk, you sit there and go, yeah, that's great. I also have things to add, you know, yeah. and I also have experiences to add. We're, we're a community of experts in the things that we do. And so really using that conference format as a way to not just hear from one person, but also interactively share your insights and your thoughts and process and digest what they're saying, I think is so critical. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the science behind it, as well as practical ways to apply it and the benefits. Of it. And so I'm really excited and I really am grateful to you for inviting me to Catalyst so that we can grow this community of effective communicators mm-hmm. to increase collaboration, not just in our own circles here where we live, but also beyond. Preach, sister. Yeah. We're... Slow claps on our side. <laughs> yeah, we've been slow clapping uh, several, at several points during Silent this conversation. But um, yeah, uh, wow, I totally lost my train of thought because I was going to say, oh, I'm like... I'm so excited to have someone talking about adult education Mm -hmm. because I feel like even though that may feel like the area for educators that may be more comfortable because you're speaking to, you know, people, adults, like, but it's also, I feel like there's a lot more information out there in terms of teaching kids and classes to teach kids and how kids learn. But then outside of that, there's, I think there's less information out there about how we as adults learn, and we've just always right. kind of assumed that it's the college-style lecture setup right. where there's a presenter and a listener. And so I'm incredibly right. excited to share, because um, I got a sneak peek, y'all. So I'm, exci- I'm incredibly excited <laughs> to share this method of uh, teaching for yeah. adults to make our messages go that much further. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, Megan, we've got um, a couple questions to ask you, our, our quote-unquote lightning round or whatever. We haven't dubbed the name yet. Um, so what is, like, one resource you just absolutely cannot live without? Um, book, podcast, blog, vlog, any of that? I have so many, but um, the one thing I can't live without are my mentors. Ah, and I literally nice. talk to at least one mentor every day. Cool. Um, because my mentors have become like my life friends and my family. Yeah. And so whether it's just catching up with them, sharing with them what went on throughout the day, or a lot of times now we kind of support each other. So they call me their reverse mentor because, you know, <laughs> sometimes they teach me things and then. I repeat back to them what they taught me and they're like, oh gosh, now you're telling me (laughs) (laughs) they're for each other, support each other. And I really could not be where I am without my mentors. And I really could not grow to my potential without my mentors. So they're probably my one resource that I can't live without, but I did want to share one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Earlier this year, I read this book called grit, the power of passion and perseverance by Angela Duckworth. Mm -hmm. And I was actually listening to a podcast when she was being interviewed and literally 10, 15 minutes into the podcast, I was like, I have to read this book that she's talking about. (laughs) And so I ended up going on Amazon and buying the book immediately. And I finished the book in a couple hours because it was just so powerful. And so um, since then, I've given probably over a half dozen presentations this year on, you know, collaboration and workforce issues and professional development and engagement. And I tell people, so if you don't believe anything that I said, because for whatever reason, here's a book that literally takes the scientific approach to validating everything that I just said. And so it's been an incredibly powerful book for me. So um, Ariane and I's goal is to be Water Oprah, where we bring in and inspire people and dig deep in storytelling. And, you know, Oprah always has her, like, Dr. Oz or her go-to professional. So I think Megan is going to be, like, our... Dr. Oz for yeah. mentorship and, co- yeah. and collaboration and all of that. So I'm already imagining like a, another session with you completely just based around mentoring and mentorship and how to find a mentor because that's such an ambiguous statement. Go find a mentor. Um, right. You know, it's just, it's, we're on the, we're in the same boat with you where the people that are mentoring us are, I mean, I can't imagine our life without them. So be prepared for me to ask you for another conversation all about mentors. Sure. <laughs> I would love that. I'm, I'm extra on fire because I'm at this conference and our panel yesterday was about workforce issues. And so oh, yeah. my fellow panelists did an amazing job covering, you know, different resources for college students and for um, interns and whatnot. But I took a much deeper approach into just being overly blunt about some of the issues. And so, you know, I shared about the fact that just having personality tests isn't employee engagement and that just pairing someone older with someone younger isn't what mentorship is about, you know, Mm -hmm. and really what, what do all those things mean and how can we be more effective in growing our organizations and growing our industry? Because we do have such a large amount of really, really knowledgeable, smart and experienced people who literally started a lot of the things that we do today with mm-hmm. the Clean Water Act who are now retiring. And yeah. so how do we 
keep that momentum going and become an even better water environment profession than we were, Mm -hmm. you know, 40, 50 years ago. Just got another slow clap. (laughs) What's, um, what's like one thing that you wake up or you go to bed doing every day that drives your productivity? So I wake up every day and I spend some time reflecting and meditating and um, doing my quiet time. And so that's how I set my day. I set my intentions for the day. I reflect on what I want to do differently to be a better person that day. Um, I think a lot of times when we goal set, we look at five, 10 years down the road and it's easy to set those goals and it's also easy to miss those marks. But if you reset your intention every single day and realize that even just one minute change or one minute improvement or one small impact really builds up. That's, I think, the most powerful thing. In Korean, um, in Korea, there's a proverb, and it's called tikul motesan. And it basically means even dust can accumulate to become a mountain. And so Ooh. I think we oftentimes set these big audacious goals and then get really intimidated when we feel like we're getting off course or we can't accomplish it. But if you focus on just collecting that one piece of dust every day, over time, eventually it'll become a mountain. And I think I'm a walking testament of that because, you know, um, just when I was compiling my bio and I was like hundreds of seminars and workshops, it started with one, you know, one a week or one a month. And, and that's really how it accumulates. And it's the same thing with everything else that we do. Um, you know, when I first started in this industry, I would look at these people with 25 years, 30 years. And now I'm like, I'm halfway there, you know? And so everything does add up. And so I think the one thing I do every day is set my intention for the day and look at one little thing I can improve each and every day. So I know that um, I asked all of our speakers at Catalyst for their favorite quote because we're making a journal for the um, for the summit for all of our participants to have. But uh, and you gave me one that was very good. It was it was actually something that you say yourself that um, how helping people helps not only yourself but but others, but I kind of like this dust creates a mountain quote, if I can use that one too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Go. <laughs> so our, is that, um, cause our last question is about, well, that's not our last question. Sorry. Second to last. Um, our second to last question is about a favorite quote that gets you fired up. So do either of those do it for you? Or is there's another one that really kind of gets you pumped up or even something that you've heard at the conference you're at? Um, I think my quote for this week, because I love all sorts of quotes. And for example, Romans 828 has just kind of been like a life mantra for me, um, especially in difficult times. But this week, it's been one of the things that I've started, which is people care about people that care. Yes. And so if you really think about it, all the people that you care about in your life, you care about them because they care about you. Mm -hmm. And I think we think about that one in a familial sense and with our friends, but we also have to expand that when we think about our colleagues and our coworkers, because at the end of the day, you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your family members. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so if you do want to make an impact in what you do in your daily work and in your daily lives, you have to start caring about people and you have to start caring about people more than just at the surface. And I think people resonate most with people that are genuine. 
and people can see right through the bullshit, you know, and they can see right through the facade. And so why fake it? Just be real. You know, everyone has flaws. Everyone has room to grow and just start caring about people. And I think we can become so much more impactful if we care about other people and stop being so worried about how people perceive us or if people see our weaknesses or flaws. That's okay. Just worrying about people. So that's my quote for the week. People care about people that care. You uh, might have just got yourself a full chapter in my book called <laughs> Give a Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You and you also like segued perfectly into our last question because it's all about how, you know, we've seen how something as simple as water can be a catalyst for change and to bring people together. Um, and that it's everywhere. I mean, we see it in everything. So, I mean, hence the water in real life name for the podcast. But oftentimes, you know, some people don't see the value in changing because, oh, I'm just one person. Like, what difference is me as one person going to make if I change? It's not going to make an impact. But, you know, we disagree with that 100% because right. we believe that change can be contagious and that oftentimes people will imitate what is closest to them. Um So, like, what's a call to action that you're most passionate about? Or what's that simple change that you think one person can make that you believe will ultimately change the world? So, oh, my gosh, I have so many things to say. I'll start with this. um, And I shared this yesterday, actually, at my panel. I said, think big, but start small. So think big and know where you want things to be. But start small because you can't change you can't change something overnight. Usually, whatever situation that we're in, it didn't happen in one day, and it's not going to get fixed in one day. And so, be very very patient and think big and start small. And I think the reason why I'm so passionate about water is literally none of us would be here without water. Yeah, exactly. And none of us would be alive if we didn't have water. And to me, that is so profound and awe inspiring. And I mean, there is no one thing that could keep us alive if we didn't have water. And so there's, there's big responsibility in that. And there's big responsibility in helping people realize that this is the one piece of earth that keeps us all together and woven. And if you look at water, a lot of communities started around water sources. If you look at history... Water is what drove civilization, and that's what drove certain communities to succeed better than others, and it's also what started a lot of wars. And so water is so important, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And I think that's where we can also use that perspective of helping someone and helping others and helping our community. And so one call to action that I would love to share with everyone is help someone every day. And by doing that, we can create this culture of yes. I think sometimes we feel that as one individual, it's so difficult to make a big difference. But it doesn't matter if you just help someone with something little. It doesn't matter if you help someone with something big. It doesn't matter if you help someone with something related to what you do in your job or in your personal life. It's just have that attitude of, yes, I can help you. Yes, we can do this. Yes, we can be better. Yes, we can help each other. And we've become such a culture of like, no, 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 no. We have so many, you know, speakers that tell people learn to say no. And it's great. (laughs) It's great in terms of creating margin in your life or, you know, 
really focusing on what you want to do, but don't let that limit your potential and your ability to make a difference mm-hmm. because one yes could lead to so many incredible things in your life. I could say time and time again, in fact, I think I have an article on my LinkedIn where I talk about how saying yes has changed my life in so many different ways. And it could be as easy as, you know, telling someone to have a great day, you know, as mm-hmm. yeah. that could be that one bright moment in their life that you just didn't even realize you made such a big difference. So just start opportunities where you can help people and be that person who's always there for people. Yeah. Be that person who says yes to things and sees that opportunity to help people in some way, shape, or form. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, Megan. As usual, you leave us with like inspired and excited and I think we become besties every time we talk to you even <laughs> more. Aww, love um, you guys too. <laughs> so um, we love how active you are. I mean, in our industry, it's it's such an awesome thing. And Megan is an awesome person to follow on all the social media and in real life. Um, so Megan, can you share like what ways people can connect with you? Sure. Um LinkedIn is probably the best way to connect with me. Um, I'm, I also cross post a lot on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, but you can find me online somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Just Google uh, Megan U. Schneider. <laughs> Thanks for spending some time with us today during episode seven. You can find the show notes for today's episode and all the previous episodes at theh2duo.com backslash water in real life. We are incredibly passionate about being a resource for you and we can only do that with your help. Please show us some love by going to iTunes and subscribing to the podcast on there. And also you can rate and review us to help us get the only duo run show about water. Some shelf space on that iTunes homepage. You can also find us on Twitter and Insta at the underscore H2Duo. We'd love to hear from you. The Catalyst Mastermind Summit in San Antonio begins today, y'all. Can't even begin to explain how excited we are about that. It is sold out, but before you let the FOMO run rampant, remember that every speaker from Catalyst will be highlighted on the Water in Real Life podcast this month. The only one you're going to have to wait for is George Hawkins, and we're going to be hearing from him pretty soon we hope you learned something new got a little inspired and most importantly took action on something today that will move you one step closer to your goals until next time remember what one of our favorite quotes says those who tell the stories rule the world